0: I think that's a significant point, you know, that, that really has to do, like you just said, these parables folk get us to focus on whether our nature is, has been transformed, redeemed, purchased back. And is it changing? Is it growing? And am I living more in the kingdom or am I going back to live more in the old subdivision, you know, right. in the old, old way?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn how to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural background in which it was written. The reason why the Salty Pastor Podcast is so different is because we are trying to get you to think for yourself. The reason is because what you believe is the most important thing about you. Therefore, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. We're here for you, and we hope this podcast helps you in the growth of your own faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without. Without the one the only the salty pastor himself Dr. Douglas Peak.
0: Hello everyone so good to be with you today you know it's kind of nice that uh, we are coming to the end of this journey on the parables.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a long, many-week journey. But <laughs> How many I weeks? Think,
0: How was I, it? Does I, anybody know?
1: Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. Count. Many.
0: We'd have to figure it out.
1: We'd have to figure it out, but there, there's so much to glean from them, and there's so much still more, glean. and we're not even hitting all of them. There are still some that we didn't even get to. So, mm-hmm. That's um, true. But it's been great, and these last three that have been in, In Matthew chapter 25, right before Jesus was crucified, these are really powerful ones. And I'm assuming this is the reason we're ending on them is Mm because they are so powerful. Mm -hmm. All three of these parables focus on the coming of the kingdom of God. The parable of the ten virgins is about being ready for when the king arrives to claim his bride, uh, known as the church. Mm -hmm. The parable of the sheep and goats is about living out our kingdom nature while we're waiting for the kingdom to come into its fullness. Mm -hmm. And the parable of the talents is about how we know whether we're religious Or redeemed. It's about how people live in their new natured life. So, what are the practical implications we gain from this parable, Pastor?
0: (laughs) Well, we studied Tuesday uh, the parable of the talents. And one of the things that we didn't really get into is, you know, what was the actual uh, kind of comparison or what's Jesus getting at is. The talent that he gave. What does the talent equate? Right. Okay. And so we didn't get into that because there's a couple things that I really like about the parable that we needed to kind of dig into first. Okay. And one of the things on a practical level that I really love about this parable is it challenges me to consider my frame of reference. The parable of the sheep and goats does the same thing. And so does the parable of the ten virgins. What they do right up front is they challenge me to think about what is my frame of reference. And this is really a big deal for anybody who wants to think for themselves. This is a question they're willing to ask themselves. For instance, in science, particularly medical science, uh, researchers go to great lengths to remove any frame of reference bias, any bias that a researcher might have. One of the ways they do this is they conduct usually in phase three studies, a thing called a double blinded study. And what that basically means is this is people who are getting treatment, don't know what test group they're in. They don't know if they're getting the real thing or the placebo. Uh, What's interesting though, is it's double blinded. So the doctors that are treating the patients don't know if they're giving the patient a placebo or the actual real medicine. So everybody in the experiment, the test, is blinded. They don't know. And so that way they do that because you can't have any type of uh, frame of reference bias in the process. We do this all the time in science and biology and, you know, Cross the board. Anything we want
1: to apply the scientific method to, right?
0: Anything you're trying to remove bias. One thing that's really important is that has really helped advance human development as well as human understanding of who we are is our capacity to be honest with ourselves, right? Remove your frame of reference bias. Well, what's really interesting is this is just kind of a side note. It's really impossible to remove your frame of bias completely. But most people don't even attempt to. And the reason why is because it's such a fearful process. How how many people do you know can just be absolutely, unequivocally, brutally honest with themselves?
1: I mean, not really anybody. Right.
0: So (laughs) the potential to be brutally honest with yourself only exists when the context is perfect, right? Right. And so there's always a... We can't be brutally honest with ourselves because... Number one, we don't know how we're going to take it, and we can't be brutally honest with anybody else because we're fearful of how it might impact them or the potential to be misunderstood mm. or judged. That's why when you're a redeemed follower of Christ, living in the kingdom, that's the safest place in the world because that's the only place where you can attempt to be brutally honest with yourself, and that's in the presence of God because God has already set up the circumstance perfectly, right? He says, I value you. I know exactly what's wrong with you, even though you don't. I have provided a way to redeem you and purchase you back. And now I've adopted you into my family. So in that circumstance, it gives you the potential to be brutally honest with yourself, right? Mm. Because if you're flawed, if you're sin, it's like it doesn't matter when you're living in the fullness of God's mercy and grace in your life, okay? It's just simply an opportunity to grow and mature, So the first thing I think that these parables do is they really help us be willing to challenge our own frame of reference. And they allow you to evaluate yourself first and foremost. They force you to ask simple questions. Am I a foolish or wise lady-in-waiting? Am I a sheep or am I a goat? You know, am I a, a good servant or am I a foolish fearful servant. We should all be able to ask ourselves these questions. And by being in the kingdom of God, redeemed by Christ, we are able to do so.
1: Yeah. I think what you said is the the key to this whole thing is that we as humans very rarely want to do introspection at a deep level, deep right? Level. Like, you know, in a crisis or when things aren't going well, sometimes we'll kind of go like, well, what could I be doing differently that would make me you know, a little bit thinner or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like we'll do some very surface level stuff. But when we get down to like, what is my nature? Who am Mm -hmm. I really? Mm -hmm. Where am I ruining my life? And I'm not, you know, a victim of attacks from the world. I'm just making poor choices, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Very Um, few people want to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And, but when you do that with God, God's there and saying, I love you anyways. Like, yes, there are things you need to change about Mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. There are things that you need to evaluate in yourself, but it's not a conditional love from him, right? Mm -hmm. It's an unconditional love. It's a, I can also help you transform and change your nature if those are the mm-hmm. things that are holding you back i have the solution and i'm gonna love you no matter what there's it's a safe space right like it's a, it's truly big, a safe space th- there was a big thing i don't know it might have been like five eight years ago where mm-hmm. it was like everyone was like oh create safe spaces for people to come in and and yeah uh tell you about their problems or if they're in abuse mm-hmm. or whatever and it's like that was great but it's like there's one super great space for people that are really struggling in life at a deep core level, and that's yeah. with God, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the only safe space that will really make a transformation in your nature.
0: Yes. Yeah, and I th- I think that's a significant point. You know, that, that really has to do, like you just said, these parables fo- get us to focus on whether our nature is, has been transformed, redeemed, purchased back. And is it changing? Is it growing? And am I living more in the kingdom or am I going back to live more in the old subdivision, you know, right? in the old old way? And once again, this all has to do with our nature. And so I think that one of the things that I really love about this, this capacity to evaluate our frame of reference is because if we misinterpret the point of these parables, particularly this parable, guess what? The consequences are really severe. If we misinterpret and we don't understand it, because the end of this parable says, take away from the fearful servant what he has and give it to the servant who did the most. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus says something that most people don't want to deal with. Right? And that is, For those who have little, it will be taken away from them, and those who have an abundance will receive even more. Mm. And then take the one that it's been taken away from and cast him out into the darkness. Well, there's no other implication in that this person is being cast out of the kingdom of God, right? So, the consequences are huge, (laughs) right? We're talking about heavy duty stuff here. And if I misinterpret the parable, then the consequences are heavy. You know, like, do do you want to get to the end of your life believing that or thinking, well, I'm a good person and I've tried to follow the Christian way and so forth. And then Jesus says, well, I never knew you. Mm. Depart from me. Well, of course not. I mean, Jesus talked about judgment and hell more than anybody else in the Bible, and so you have to take it seriously. And I think the reason why he did it is because he was trying to punch through the powerful veneer, the outer skin of religion Mm. that human beings use to psychologically comfort ourselves, right?
1: We're doing the right thing. We have these rules, and I'm following them. And I'm
0: following them. And not realizing that inside, right, I'm so messed up, broken, and wounded, I need to be brought back to life. Right. We don't know that. And so, so Jesus is trying to punch through that. Okay? And that's difficult because the Jewish culture was built around what? Rules. Right. Right? I mean, they had hundreds and hundreds, thousands of rules that they followed as a highly structured social, political, familial you know, society. And so he was trying to say, what you're doing is a foreshadowing and I'm trying to punch through because what this is is that it's about your soul and I came to save your soul, right? Which is a, a di- whole different level. And so the, the consequences are huge here and what Jesus is trying to do. So if I read this parable and I'm kind of legalistic, right? If I have a legalistic frame of reference, then there's only one of two things that are going to have happen. One is, is I see these as rules, right? Well, I need to be prepared, so I need to buy oil. I, I need to be uh, a sheep and not a goat, so I've got to make sure that I do these things, you know, feed the mm. the hungry, clothe the naked, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then in this parable, you know, I need to take every single one of my resources and I need to, you know, maximize them for God's glory or I will be cast out. Right. So it becomes a transactional thing, okay? I have to follow these rules or I get cast out. But most people are like, well, that, that, that isn't very gracious or, or doesn't understand the whole point of redemption. So a lot of people then do the opposite, even though they're still in the same frame of reference, which is legalism, is they go, these are rules that I don't need to keep. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus loves us so much, he saved us. And no matter what you do now, no matter what you think, it doesn't matter, everybody goes to heaven. It's kind of like the all dogs go to heaven kind of thing. Right. Everybody goes to heaven no matter what. And so, well, that doesn't seem to make much sense either. So, But if I read these parables, particularly the parable of the talents, as a redeemed person, then I see these behaviors he's describing as fruit of my new nature. So I evaluate myself based on how I am thinking, what I value, what I'm doing, and all of these kinds of things as an outflow of the new person that I have been made into by Christ. It's a question of your nature. So I think it's really important to understand we cannot read this parable like a legalistic person because some people do, right? There's a lot of strains of Christianity throughout the last 1,500 years in particular where you know, they have mandatory almsgiving, mandatory, you know, these types of things. You have whole communities that revolved around certain aspects of Matthew chapter 25. But that's they looked at it from a legalistic standpoint. But you can't really do that. And here's why. Because Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jewish people at the exact same time as the first 15 chapters of Acts is being played out. When you look at the authorship of Matthew, it was written around 60, between 60 and 70 A.D. Some people widen it from 50 to 70 A.D. So what you have to realize is around 33, 35 A.D., right, Christ was crucified. Paul starts persecuting the church, okay? So there's a great diaspora uh, in the book of Acts. So this takes about three to five years after the crucifixion of Christ then Paul comes to salvation and it says that he spent 14 years before he was called into the ministry. Okay. So if you add that up, we're talking 17 to 20 years. So now we're in AD 55, between 50 and 60. Right. And then what happens is Paul goes out on this missionary journey. He starts leading Gentiles to Christ. And then they come back in Acts chapter 15 to talk about Well, what are we going to require these Gentiles to do? Because some people are saying you have to convert to Judaism if you're going to be a follower of Christ. And the apostles are wrestling with this. Matthew's an apostle, and he's writing his gospel all at the same time. And in Acts chapter 15, it's unequivocally pointed out that they're moving away from legalism and away from requiring people to keep the Jewish law. And so they just reduce it basically down to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, abstain from sexual immorality, and love Jesus. I mean, that's pretty far from the Jewish right. legalistic approach. So my point is, is that we have to look into the minds of the apostles during the exact same time as one of the apostles was writing this parable or recording this parable of Jesus in his gospel. So it's not that hard for us to understand Matthew's intent and recording the words of Jesus and organizing them at this particular stage, right before his crucifixion. Okay. So you can't read it legalistically. You have to read it redemptionally as a redeemed person. And so if I do that, then these parables become a gift from Jesus in order for me to gauge uh, to understand if I've really been transformed by his blood. It's like, I'm supposed to be bearing this fruit in my life, and these parables help me see what my new nature should be producing. This is principle, I think, is really important uh, for people who were raised in Christian homes, okay? And the reason why is because most people live their adult lives uh, from the Christianity that they were exposed to in elementary or middle school. So this is the equivalent of telling a 12 year old, they're ready to get married because they understand the rules of marriage. And so what people don't understand is that Christianity is a truth proposition at its core. Following Jesus is a truth proposition and we train our kids up in it. But as I said, you know, last week is that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So we have to usher them into a mature understanding of Jesus Christ. And what that is, is they have to understand their the sin nature and how Christ came to free them from that, and that they've been given a new nature, and that nature is in alignment with the kingdom of God, which is present here on earth in the great in-between before it comes back in its fullness.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of, I love the the point you brought up where it's We need to be raising Christians to maturity because, again, when I was teaching dance, I would have students who were about ready to go off to college. And Mm -hmm. they're like, well, and most of them were LDS. And I was like, well, you should go take a world religion class. And they were like, well, why would I do that? And I was like, because the only way you're going to know what you believe about your own faith is by seeing what other people believe and you can evaluate and go, well, that sounds true or that sounds false, right? Yes. And I I encourage them to do that because most people, and I was subject to this too, most of the way through college, I was living on the faith that I had underneath my parents versus going out and seeking and really trying to understand what my faith was on my own. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think making sure that you utilize this, these parables, not as a, Oh, well, you're going to be judged as a sheep or a goat. And it's like, well, yes, you will. But that's not the point. The point is your nature. Are you being transformed? Are your Is your life showing that? If you are waiting and making sure you're prepared for when he does come back, right. that's a transformation in how you view the world and how you make choices in your life. Mm-hmm. And finally, how, what are you doing with the talents and the gifts you've been given? And how long are you going to sit around waiting for you know, him to come back before you go out and use them and actually progress the kingdom. Right. And so if you're utilizing these parables as a, this should be speaking about my nature and what my nature should be like, not as a set of rules or like, well, God's going to come back and yell at you if you don't do enough things while you're down here. Like that's not the point. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think understanding those things, understanding the context in which it was written and not reading them as these are a set of rules you should follow. It's a, statement about your nature mm-hmm. transforms everything about what you're reading in chapter 25. Yeah.
0: And that requires maturity, right? You know, a 12 year old,
1: I mean, VBS can't get that. Yeah. VBS or vacation Bible school or, or FH kids or, or Sunday school. You're probably not going to try to talk to them about what their nature is. Right. Correct. Like you, if you're going to go through the parables, I know like some curriculums, like the one at foothills goes through the entire Bible. Over the course of, I think it's three or four years. Yes. So they will eventually go through these parables, but they're probably not going to go into this nuance, right? And that's right. okay. They're not at a level where they should be trying to get into the mm-hmm. nuance of who are you in at your core nature, right? Right. You know, understanding that, hey, if you if you are pursuing the right things, judgment will come. You need to be ready. Like those are top level things that do need to be understood, but you can't live there forever just like you can't live on your elementary right. education forever. forever. And, you need to expect, grow up. <laughs> and expect to survive. You have Adulting to learn Adulting is skills. hard. Yes, it is. So what else do you have, Pastor?
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, since you know, it's all about the nature, I think really when you read the parable of the talents, there's a couple things that I really want to dig into, and that is, is the, the biblical principle is so clear here, and that is you have been given a gift. It's unique to you. You know, there are different amounts for the different servants, right? So that's a way of, I think, communicating directly is that we're all different. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And now we often interpret the talents. When you go through and you read every, all the devotions, modern day devotions on it, you know, and sermons and messages about it and blogs about it, everybody says <laughs> the same thing. This is about our, is our skills, our resources, even our money. And how we need to be good stewards of it. And it's not so much what we produce, but it's our effort. You know, we need to go out and try. But I think that there's truth to that, and I think that's an applicable principle. But here's the curveball I want to throw today. That it just real as I really dug into this and I was thinking about it, is what if the talent isn't a skill? It isn't your money. It isn't your resources. What if the talent that Jesus is referring to is actually the kingdom of God?
1: And you're right. This is a curveball. I need more information, pastor. I don't, (laughs) I, in what way? Like, are you, are we talking about like the full kingdom of God that's going to return someday, or are we talking about the one that's here on earth that we're, we're trying to live in until it's restored since they're both and right.
0: So, but we're in the great in between. What if, because what does Jesus call the kingdom of God? The woman had how many what? And she lost one? Coins. Yeah. And then he says the kingdom of God is like a pearl merchant who found the best
1: pearl. pearl. Yeah.
0: And then a man bought a field and in it was a chest filled with treasure. Treasure. So you see this imagery that the kingdom of God is associated with m- valuable monetary things is not a stretch. Right. So what if what if what he's saying is all three of these were given a portion of the kingdom of God? Right. And so I see this all the time. You know, some people. Right. Uh, when they're new in their faith, they they've been exposed or given a a very small portion of the kingdom of God. They're brand new in their faith. They're just trying to figure out what it means to be redeemed, right? And then you have someone who's been walking with God for 30 or 40 years, deep in the faith, you know, and their portion of the kingdom of God has grown. Okay, so they have a lot more talents. And the reason I say this is because then the emphasis of the parable becomes... I am held accountable for what I do with the portion of the kingdom that I have been given, okay? And this is the only thing that I believe makes the final statements in the parable have any sense, okay? So let's go back and read just that very last part of the parable where it says, "For," verse 28, so take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has 10. Mm. For everyone who has, more shall be given and will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw that worthless slave into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. To me, what he's describing in verse 30 is being in and out of the kingdom of God, right? When you're in the kingdom of God, good. Out of kingdom of God, wailing and gnashing of teeth, bad. So in good, out bad. Bad. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, but notice what he says. Take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has 10. What's being taken away from him? Is it his salvation?
1: I don't think so.
0: Because if, does Jesus take away your salvation because you don't do something in particular? Or are you covered by the righteousness of God? and your sins have been cleansed, there's only one unpardonable sin that Jesus talks about in the Bible. And what is that?
1: The Uh, blasphemy of of the the Holy Holy Spirit.
0: Spirit. And so what is, in John 17, or not John 17, but John, what is it? 15, 16, 17, somewhere there. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? Is to come and give witness or testimony to convict the world of its sin and give testimony to Jesus. So if we... we ignore that now. So I'm weaving something together here. Um, and so everybody, if you listen to this, I want you to noodle this. And then I want you to respond to me because I'm not trying to say in a dogmatic fashion that I'm right. What I'm doing is I'm saying, let's explore this because it's opening up this really interesting possibilities to me because I'm, I've always tried to understand verse 29, for to whoever has, more will be given. Because he doesn't
1: usually take your, he's, he's not saying, oh, I'm going to take your gifts away, right? Like that, yeah. that that interpretation also doesn't really make sense, right? Like I'm not going to just suddenly take your gift for public speaking away. I mean, he could, but that doesn't seem to be the way he usually operates is suddenly striking you exactly. with a, a inability to have.
0: So for to everyone who has, so if I have the kingdom, even if a little bit of the kingdom, guess, guess what? More will be given. So the promise is more when I have the kingdom, which does the kingdom belong to me? No, No, it doesn't. Isn't that interesting? But, and so then I will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. So if I don't have the kingdom, but what I do have is what I think makes me have value. What I think makes me important, what I th- what I think gives me peace, guess what? All of that will be taken away. Mm. All of that will be taken away, and in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is definitely a very different spin on it
0: than I thought it was. So Because if this to- is the case, right, it leads to the third point, and that is when you're in the kingdom... You can live in fear or you can live in possibility, you see? So if I have the kingdom, right, and I can live in fear w- with it, I can say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what God wants to do. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit because I'm afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to convict me of. As a matter of fact, I want to do what I want. I'm going to ignore the Holy Spirit. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be around the people of God. You know, all they do is make me feel guilty. Right. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not them making you feel guilty. It's you making you feel guilty. Right. Because you're around people. Right. Who are shining a light and you get in there and go, oh, boy, you know, it's like, you know, some people want to put their makeup on. Ladies want to put their makeup on in the dark. You know, it looks good in the dark. (laughs) Then you go outside, you go. Oops. Oops. <laughs> but see, you, the reason you feel guilty isn't because people are making you feel guilty. You make yourself feel guilty, right? And we're going to talk about that in the next series, which I'm very excited about, by the way. That's a <laughs> minor plug. But the point is, is that, are you following with me? Is that if you have a little bit of the kingdom, you you if you can say, I'm going to take this little bit of the kingdom and I'm going to in." invest myself in it and invest it I am gonna push I'm gonna I'm going to grow I am gonna do everything I can right and then what happens the promise is enter into your rest right enter into your blessing okay okay so it really takes a turn away from the physical monetary emphasis to the spiritual emphasis right store up for your treasures in heaven heaven right seek those things first and what's interesting is the third servant lived in fear he was given a portion of the kingdom but he was so afraid of it what did he do he buried Buried it It. he buried it
1: don't put your light under a bush oh no (laughs) oh
0: no but that's what he did is he buried it because he was so afraid of the kingdom of god you know and so That's why I think that if the kingdom is the talent that is, if there's an analogy there, if there's a connection there, then what does my nature resonate with? It's all about possibility. I see new things. I want to do new things. There's no limit to his kingdom. There's no limit to his governance. There's no limit to his, his blessing in my life. I want to embrace all of it. I want to go out and take this portion of the kingdom, and I want to see it grow, and I want to see it double and triple and quadruple. I want to plant the seed that produces 30, 60, 90-fold. That's what my, brings purpose and meaning to mm. my life. Uh, this is why kingdom people are so possibility-oriented people. Um, Our founding fathers were kingdom guys steeped in the kingdom and came up with the greatest political document, the constitution and form of government ever known in the history of the world. Kingdom people ended infanticide in the Roman Empire. Kingdom people ended slavery in the Roman Empire. Uh, kingdom people discovered science kingdom. People brought human rights to the world kingdom. People ended slavery in the Americas and in the UK kingdom. People are possibility thinking people. They are possibility, hope filled, visionary people. If it weren't for kingdom people, we wouldn't be where we are today in this world, all because they chose not to live in fear. They chose to live in possibility. So the reason why you have hope, Jesse, the reason why we believe in love, the reason why we still want to have kids and grow families, Eve. the reason why we never give up, the reason why is because we have hope. And the hope that we have comes from our new nature that says, I am in a kingdom, and in this kingdom, all things are possible.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for... Not just this message, but all of the messages on the parable over the last couple months. Um, It has been transformational in my life, in our listeners' life, and the lives of the people here at Foothills. And we're so thankful that we get to do this twice a week with you, where we get to dive deeper and learn more so that we can really understand what we believe and why we believe it. Um, I'm sorry to see this. This series on the parables go, but I know I'm also excited for the next series all about guilt and where we should be going with it. It's going to be great. So make sure you guys tune in for that. Also, this is the last episode that will air on the Foothills YouTube channel. If you have not subscribed to the Salty Pastor podcast YouTube channel, if you search the name, you'll see the logo and everything you need to, because this will be the last one that comes out on the Foothills YouTube, everything Moving forward will be on the Salty Pastor website because or YouTube because we have so many more and there's even more podcasts coming soon. Yeah, um, on this network, so we're gonna have even more podcasts for different. Um, topics and things coming out soon. So it's important that you get subscribed to the Salty Pastor so you don't miss those when we start feeding all the other things into all the other things going on here at Foothills and in the Salty Pastor universe. So mm-hmm. uh, can we have our own cinematic universe? <laughs> sure, we need right. our own cinematic the universe. Salty Pastor. But for uh, being serious, make sure you do subscribe to the Salty Pastor um, YouTube channel so that you don't miss out on next week's episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you... Next week, here on the Salties Pastor Podcast.
0: Blessings.